You know what they say, third time's a charm, right? Three is a magic number. The The show that takes an in-depth look at the third installment of a franchise. This is episode 38, Day of the Dead. I'm your host, Michael Romero, and welcome back to another episode. Joining me today, I have my unofficial co-host, Brian Late Night Rodriguez of the High School Slumber Party podcast and the PSI Love Hoffman podcast, as well as my horror consultant, Dan of the Dead Cologne, appropriately. I couldn't find two nicer people to be locked away underground during a zombie apocalypse with. Dan is probably my main guy when it comes to talking horror on and off the air, and over the last two years or so, I've sort of been inaugurating Brian into the horror genre with various movies along the way between the two of our podcasts. This movie in particular, I don't think I'm alone in considering a classic. So a few things about this particular episode. We recorded this way back at the start of quarantine, and I haven't put it out yet because I wound up backlogging quite a few episodes over the summer, but it finally gets its official release now. So without further ado, grab your rations, lock your bunker door, and crack a cold one, because it's officially the Day of the Dead. back to third time's a charm all right so this is a very interesting episode tonight well at least i am broadcasting live from my underground bunker i don't know about my two guests Uh, but i have returning champions with me this evening first up i want to introduce my unofficial co-host as you are not lately not no not well that's why it's unofficial because you're not here every episode (laughs) brian late night rodriguez the teach himself welcome back to third times a charm hello hi it's it's been a couple weeks i think but i'm happy to be back i'm excited i I actually haven't seen a horror film probably since the last time you made me watch one i'm glad to be baptized in it back again you know you're learning you're getting there but while you still may be the novice i also have with me my horror consultant dan of the dead cologne welcome back dan hey mike thanks for having me long time no uh no chat <laughs> might be my my other unofficial co-host uh-oh. As it uh-oh. watch out brian i stopped myself from saying new and i and i changed it to <laughs> other keep you both around i hope the winner isn't based on this performance today because i have a distinct disadvantage of being a horror novice no, no, I, I don't think so. That's why I need both of you from both ends of the spectrum. But Brian, you did just mention that, and I think one of the last times you were on was for Return of the Living Dead Part 3, sort of the uh, the other Living Dead series that is out there. This one, quite different than that one. You know, like you said, you haven't really watched that much horror lately, but what are some general thoughts on this? You know, are, are you even familiar with the Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead? I mean, George Romero, I know you are aware of that name we discussed it a little bit but what are some of your general thoughts to begin with here well i only really know it from you i mean you kind of told me the whole return of the living series and the of the dead series and and what that went to i've actually now seen this trilogy i've seen the first two but i wasn't yet indoctrinated in the horror thing when i saw the first two that i watched like you know like college and maybe some of the years after i was excited to see this one because you know the romero zombie is like so iconic to use that word off the bat i'll tell you it did not disappoint i had a lot of fun with this one now dan you are no stranger to horror films this one in particular go a little bit into your history with this film i think it's kind of similar to mine which i'll get into after but some of your general thoughts about day of the dead as I've mentioned on this show, college was sort of the, the genesis of my uh, horror fandom. At that time, I was acquiring as many of the so-called classics that I could get my hands on, anything that I recognized by name, you know, as, as stuff I wanted to be uh, immediately become familiar with. Someone had shown me Night of the Living Dead, and I thought it was great. I always kind of loved those old monster movies, so that wasn't too big of a surprise for me. And then, like, immediately I got Dawn of the Dead, loved that. And then, at some point, I got to Day of the Dead, and my on my first watch, I did not 
really care for it. And I think it has more to do with what my belief of what zombies should be was at the time and not what George Romero wanted to do with the genre. Sort of like, you know, people who immediately dismiss, uh, like, you know, running zombies, right? I sort of immediately dismissed this whole idea that zombies would hang on to any sort of brain function. The, the whole concept that a zombie could be taught and trained and, and domesticated, I just was like, no, that's stupid. That really tainted my first viewing of this movie. All the stuff that I really liked was sort of felt by the wayside once that was introduced. Years passed. I had seen Land of the Dead. I had seen Survival and Diary of the Dead when they came out. I still was faithful to Romero and his franchise. But for whatever reason, Day of the Dead didn't strike me. And then as the years progressed, something changed. Maybe I matured and I realized, you know, they're all different kinds of zombies and Romero's is not the only zombie like no other zombie should necessarily be held to that same standard and I just sort of accepted what Romero wanted to do and once I was on board with that I fell in love with this movie it became my immediate favorite of the original trilogy awesome my history with Romero and and Night of the Living Dead goes actually pretty far back like I think I first saw that original one when I was like 13 and mistook it for a Twilight Zone episode you know (laughs) and then it just like kept going and I was like what am I watching again and I didn't get to dawn and day until much later maybe uh you know until I was like in my 20s even I don't know what happened they just sort of eluded me and I fell for dawn of the dead instantly what I love most about Romero's zombie films is that they're not exactly zombie films, right? It's like he uses them in a social context in the way that other films use them for action or suspense. And, but he really uses them for like a dramatic effect, holding them up as like a reflection of society that blew my mind once I kind of latched onto that. And day of the dead at first sight kind of struck me as too sensational. Uh, I didn't really get it, I don't think, because I wasn't really interested in what the military and the science side had. I didn't want answers, you know, and this movie tries to give Romero's versions of certain answers uh, as to what is going on, how to control them, the R complex. Is that the Romero complex? I don't know. But yeah, like Dan was saying about the whole sort of like condition and control side of it, like I just didn't understand. Maybe it was just too much at the time. And then coupled with like the fan service side of the amazing gore effects and all all of that kind of stuff that that is on display here but coming back to it i think it is now my favorite too because i i understand the social context more especially just because it's been discussed so much more in general society with things like the walking dead and even the movie us like kind of came to mind while watching this movie a lot where it's just you know that was about sort of scientists trying to control us and this is also very much about scientists trying to control us so over the years i've definitely discovered a a newfound respect for what's going on here. I think that's why I enjoyed this film so much, because, you know, I'm not one for the big gore or maybe some of the traditional horror tropes, though I'm getting into them more and more. But I love the complexity of this story. Like, I could get into that besides for all the zombie stuff. Yeah, I noticed the zombies sort of take a back seat relatively compared to the other two movies in this trilogy, right? The, the, the story is primarily about the struggle between the scientists and the soldiers. And the zombies are almost an afterthought. And I think that contributed to my dissatisfaction that first go through because I was like on board for zombies, like give me zombies. And you don't get as much of it here. But I I think I was totally wrong in my estimation that first time because the, the point of this movie is not the zombies. It's about this struggle between the two factions. And I think they do a great job uh, aiding that particular story. I'll just give a real quick plot rundown just from memory here. We got our main character is Sarah, who is a scientist who works for the government. And she's been put together with a group of soldiers who is now run by the insane Rhodes. Well, they've all sort of gone insane. And she also works for Dr. Logan, a.k.a. Dr. Frankenstein. He is the one who's trying to condition the zombies. She is, in fact, trying to find a way to sort of reverse all of this, not necessarily like turn them back into humans, but to stop the spread of the infection. So even within the factions, there's dissension splits and things like that. They are all holed up in a government bunker, which is basically just miles of underground tunnel. They've got supplies, they've got reserves, but most of that's running out. It seems like they've been down there a while. Everyone is going crazy. Dr. Frankenstein is doing his experiments. It's freaking everyone out. After a while, everything falls apart. Sarah and the helicopter pilots escape to a tropical island in the end while the zombies get in and eat all of the soldiers one by one in a more impressive yet gruesome fashion. So that's that's the gist of it. Now, I think 
Starting off, what's interesting is, you know, if you're familiar with the other two movies, if you've seen them recently, this is a very different location here. We're actually down in Florida, as opposed to the first two movies taking place in, in Pittsburgh. Right. Yeah, I don't think I don't know that any of it was shot in Pittsburgh proper, uh, but it was definitely the greater Pittsburgh area. So I do have one bit of trivia, if I'm not mistaken. The underground facility was not a soundstage. It was shot in the Wampum Mine, a former limestone mine near Pittsburgh. And it was being used for an underground storage facility. The 2,500,000 square foot mine is now operated as the Gateway Commerce Center or a subsurface storage facility. That's interesting. I mean, that's pretty cool. Uh, but I loved the Florida setting. Like, it was so different than the other zombie movies I've seen. And it's such a different vibe. I love that. I almost don't even stop to think about it. But since we're talking about it, it makes zero sense to me why there would be a mine in Florida. But, you know, we just sort of accept it. I'm happy to see palm trees. <laughs> the way I sort of considered it was that's just like a fallout shelter or like some kind of government facility, right? Like, I think it's just supposed to be sort of like this bizarre underground bunker yeah it definitely doesn't read like a coal mine like an old coal mine that they repurposed but at the same time it just seems strange to have a big mine like facility in florida i mean now that you mention it as cool as it is it's kind of impossible right like florida like swamp high water table they say they're near the everglades how far down do they have to dig to get to like bedrock Apparently not too far because you see that elevator goes down and you can see, you know, the sky when it's at the basement. So it's hard to tell. But I do love this intro because it's Day of the Dead and it starts in the daytime and it, it's bright. You can see everything and the and the zombies start shuffling out into the streets and they all look awesome. And, and you know, the makeup has come so far since the last one. <laughs> everything just looks, yeah, really great. And the guy's screaming hello and they're on some sort of like reconnaissance mission here. All that stuff is nice. Can we back up just a second and talk about that first opening scene? Yeah, the opening shot. Yeah, absolutely. So go for it, Dan. You know, I've seen this movie a bunch of times and that opening scene is incredible. And it didn't strike me until this past rewatch that particular scene, it felt very much like the sort of scene that would be stuck at the end of a movie. You know, when you think everything's okay and things are safe and then bam, there's that last second, you know, shock before the cuts to black and then you get credits, you know. But in this movie, they stick it right up front, I guess, maybe to like remind you, oh, yeah, you're here for some zombie horror. So I just love that they stuck that scene at the beginning instead of the end. What I really like about that is that there's not going to be a lot of jump scares in this movie. It's not that kind of movie. So what it does is sort of like get you off balance or it got me immediately off balance. Like jump scares you like into the movie. So you're like constantly aware waiting for the next jump scare and it never really comes. And I think that's kind of genius that he like kept me on my toes and I started feeling the tension that they must be feeling as well. Of like constantly like, you know, looking over your shoulder or something or just waiting for something to jump out at you. And it kind of never did. And I just, I don't know. I really like that. It just set me up in a really good way for the rest of the movie. Yeah, for sure. Brian, what do you think about that shot when the arms come out of the wall and the, and she's looking at the calendar? Any sort of impact for you there? I mean, that's cool. We got to see an alligator or crocodile something. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So the gator that comes out of the movie theater is pretty cool. Right. <laughs> no, and that's like definitely like like you said, cool jump scare shot. And we don't get a lot of them. Some uh, I wrote down like later. Briefly, she's scared by... But there's like a little scare there. But you're right. It's not like crazy stuff. Some of the jump scares are from like the military sneaking up on the girl or whatever. You know, sorry, I don't know anyone's names, but whatever. Yeah, no, it's OK. Yeah, there's a good one where, where she's like just walking to get something to drink. And like they come barreling out of a door in a fight. And it's just like a bunch of guys like fighting. And it's like, wait a second, what? <laughs> but this is a really interesting setup like we get a lot of introductions like this is very diverse like Romero's you know known for his diversity too he I don't think he gets enough credit for being a Latin American filmmaker either you know I, I think a lot of people aren't even quite aware of that but in this alone you know we have the the woman who's going to be the hero right sort of like the Ripley type and then we have Jamaican helicopter pilot the Irish helicopter pilot and then Latino soldier so like right here in the beginning it's like you don't really see this too often like even today like you don't get a motley crew like this like going out zombie hunting yeah yeah for sure and 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 i think sarah the character sarah is definitely one of the high points of this movie is maybe my favorite protagonist in the original trilogy just because she shows no fear in the face of 
roads or the zombies, like nobody. We definitely needed a character like this after Dawn of the Dead. Now, this may be sacrilege to some. I know most people would say that Dawn of the Dead is, is the best of the of these three, but, you know, the female protagonist in that, I find to be the weak... Oh, well, no, I'm sorry. She's not weaker than what's-her-face from the, the first one. I can't remember oh, her name. Barbara? They're coming to get you, Barbara. Barbara. Yeah, she's not worse than Barbara, but she's really not... She doesn't have a whole lot of agency either, whereas... Sarah is, from the first frame of this film, is just kicking ass and taking names. So I love the energy she brings to this movie because Rhodes definitely needs somebody to, to counter him. And to have his counter be a badass woman like her is brilliant. Oh yeah, she's so good. So far, she might be my favorite horror movie heroine I've seen. She's in my top five, top three maybe. Like, she's awesome. And, like, her character is, like, so assertive, and she has this one amazing scene where she completely loses it and breaks down and cries, but it's not until she chops off Miguel's arm and all this other shit, like, happens, and it's right towards the end and everything, you know? So, like, it's really interesting how she's almost trying to take control. Uh, I wonder if that's, like, her way to cope while everyone else is sort of breaking down. She's actually somehow building herself even stronger through this situation. Because I had a sense that she was sort of maybe like a pushover or pushed around in her civilian life and now it's like she's taking opportunity of the situation to be like no like I this is finally like a situation that I can control or like try and and like make better some way yeah I just strike her as the only one who isn't completely insane during this entire movie (laughs) maybe the copter pilots they've sort of half lost it but they're not all the way gone yet you know if we're talking about this movie from a from a broad perspective we've got scientists and we've got military the helicopter pilots are in a way kind of of like a neutral group. They don't really have an allegiance to either side, which is why I think they get away in the end. But then Sarah is the only one of the scientists who isn't either maimed or actually kind of hasn't transgressed either. As we'll find out, Frankenstein is really unethical. He's the guy we should be rooting for, but at the same time, he's making really unethical decisions. As clearly evil as the soldiers are, the scientists are, are not completely clean either, except for Sarah. She is sort of the moral compass of this film, which is why she survives also. I think both sides, in their own ways, deserve what happens to them. Yeah, there's a reason they call him Dr. Frankenstein and not by his real name, Dr. Logan. It is because of the arcane yeah. practices that he's doing then that he would insist are necessary in this time, but clearly he's gone too far. Yeah, and also just his, like, general optimism, I guess, for, you know, the things he's doing. Uh, He's an interesting character. And I love that actor. I didn't realize until recently that Romero used him previously in The Crazies. Nice. Yeah, he usually has sort of, like, a little sort of stable of actors. And I don't show up in everything together, but, like, I've noticed, like, a bunch of people show up in a lot of stuff that he's done. Like, he likes to use locals and and people like that. So we get back to the military base, I guess we're going to call it. You know, the bunker the tunnels and everything we see that the zombies are trying to get in that they have like a weak chain link fence set up they're growing weed (laughs) more soldiers have sort of died overnight mysteriously we get downstairs and then they go to wrangle zombies for dr frankenstein to experiment on so the way that these tunnels are set up is like they've sort of they're open-ended so like zombies can get in in one side then they've sort of blocked it off and created like this little barrack or stable or something like it's very old west looking kind of thing almost like stocks or like a gallow or something where they like wrangle in zombies to experiment on so we get to see a couple more soldiers we get the big guy and the laughing guy as i refer to them as they take sarah and miguel over to wrangle some zombies and we get to see a little zombie action and just the thing that i was thinking of this whole time is like this movie's intense like we just had like that moment up top side and now we're going to go downside and have like a very close encounter uh with some zombies some very cool very well made up looking zombies what do you guys think about this whole concept shouldn't they have just sort of blocked off all of this like it's isn't it a little crazy you know in general like this just sort of exemplifies the magnitude of how out of control things are right is that they're doing something like this i mean (laughs) i found this very bizarre the first time i watched it i'll just say that i thought it was cool all things considered, you know, like just like a cool setup. It had me intrigued, we'll put it that way. I think it made a fair amount of logical sense. You know, in any time there's a uh, pandemic, as, <laughs> as we're currently living in. But, you know, the scientists need to figure out, you know, what's what's going on so they can stop it. Now, the thing, the brilliant thing about Romero's zombies is that they're never explained what 
turn them into zombies, right? We don't know why the dead are rising. We would, I think humans would naturally think that it's some sort of disease or illness. So this whole setup they've got, like, it makes sense to me. There would be uh, some sort of research facility set up to study this, to learn from it, to reverse it somehow. And we're just getting it, getting to it like months, if not a couple years into this. So all of the actual leadership are gone. And all we have left are these people who stayed behind to, you know, mine the fort, so to speak. And now we're seeing that breakdown. So the setup itself makes perfect sense to me. I think this is exactly what we would get in a situation like this. Were they sent by the government there? And then like, they just lost contact? Is that what happened? I mean, that makes sense. Maybe this is a more affected area than other places, too, and they're kind of just trying to do some research, and of course things go out of hand. It's cool. Again, there are layers to this that I haven't seen in some of the other films I've watched, so I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it's interesting to watch this this power struggle because, you know, the scientists, they just have their moral obligation to figure out what's happening, whereas these military guys have no idea about any of it. And they're just trying to maintain control. So it's fascinating to watch this power struggle play out because they both have very different motivations. Yeah, they get into sort of a discussion a little later on when Sarah goes to sort of have a drink with the helicopter pilots and he starts reading off all of the records that he found down there of like everything, like, look, everything everyone's ever done has been recorded. And he's like, but what does it mean? Who gives a shit? Like, none of it matters. And, you know, so like there's a very interesting arc for her in the sense of like the way she starts thinking about the situation Rhodes is already there in a lot of ways where he's like this is the end like there's no going there's no going back and whatever we go back to is not going to be what was there it's a very interesting dynamic it just feels like they would generally not get along topside without this zombie invasion going on and so like having been put together and cooked up together like this by force was not a good idea i mentioned earlier that like we have the character miguel here and i'm very like surprised at the way that he is portrayed there's like lots of strong racism laced throughout this entire movie i don't think anybody is uh left unaffected but it just seems like miguel gets it the most and his character's portrayal in general too is very much of like someone who is very clearly fallen apart in the way that is stereotypical right he is uh in hysterics brian i'm just curious what were some of your thoughts about this character and, and how he was portrayed i didn't think what was going on with him as was racially based obviously he was being discriminated against but i think you know he he was falling apart from the jump you know i don't think we saw anything that was out of turn you know like no one comes out here looking that great i think from like a racial front i really and i couldn't find it i really need to see this uh island helicopter man's where the actor's actually from because that accent was kind of strange at certain points you know um but i love the diversity in this film i know we talked about it before but i just think it's awesome especially a movie from like the mid 80s having this kind of diversity i thought it was so cool you know even like the zombies are very florida looking zombies which i think is so awesome like i just appreciate that Usually you're seeing you're used to seeing like soldiers in films depicted as like square jawed like midwesterners. They weren't like that here. Like some of the soldiers are out of shape too. Um obviously it's been a long time probably since they went through basic training, but I liked seeing um you know from Miguel on down like the soldiers descent into just like regular people rather than with the exception of what's the lead captain's name or whatever? Rhodes. Yeah. Road, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the exception of his fanaticism, it doesn't seem like ever anyone else was buying into that as much as he was. Like, yeah, he had allies, but I feel like those were like allies of survival, or that he's the boss rather than them buying into, you know, whatever structure he had. So I actually liked Miguel's vulnerability. I think a lot of us would be in that situation. I think we look, you know, I don't want to get too topical. I think we look today and I feel like I'm going a little bit crazy. And I can only imagine if I was in this situation, what I might be like. I actually like his vulnerability. Also to to jump on to your point regarding Miguel, this sort of ties into what I was saying about Sarah, having Sarah be this incredibly strong character and be a woman and have Miguel be like maybe the weakest character in this film and be a man in the army. It's a great juxtaposition when compared to uh, the original Night of the Living Dead, because you've got this incredibly, almost laughably vulnerable white woman being protected by a strong black man. So I love the way these two movies bookend the franchise in that way. I don't think that was by mistake. I think that he intentionally had the weakest character of this movie be a man and the strongest character be a woman. 
for that reason. That's great insight that like I never really put my finger on that before because and then something sort of always not bothered me but like I was always sort of wondered about their dynamic. I was like there's something not it's not like this is off or anything but it's like this is definitely uncommon for them as a couple that you don't see this in horror movies not just horror movies but in film. film. Yeah, in film. I mean I I think this is realistic. There are plenty of couples that are like this, right? Like, why wouldn't there be? But on film, you never see that. It's always like the strong guy supporting this more vulnerable woman. But like, I loved it. We could only hope that we could find a woman who would chop our arm off and cauterize it with a torch if we got bitten on the arm by a zombie. I mean, that's true love. It ends up being a mistake, though, right? He doesn't turn into a zombie, but I mean, he ends up sacrificing himself anyway. Okay, so I read it as like he it was kind of his fault that the zombies came in. Oh, no, he lets him in okay. at the end. It's not because he was turning into a zombie. I think that she saved him from that, but it, he wanted to go regardless. Gotcha. So let's talk about a couple of the characters in here, a couple of the standout characters. Since we mentioned him a couple times by name already, and we're in sort of like the military talk, let's talk about Rhodes. I was not expecting the villain to be a human in this movie, necessarily. Again, like, it's just another I-should-have-known kind of thing about, like, Romero and his zombie films at this point. But watching it now, like, I always sort of laughed at this performance, but watching it now, I was, like, terrified. Because I feel like nowadays, in general, we see guys like this more and more in power, (laughs) saying stuff like this crazy all the time. And so, like, it really sort of has, like, much more of like a darker realistic sort of overtone to it nowadays let's let's talk a little bit about Rhodes here and and how he's running his show yeah i i love Rhodes. i love any actor who's really good at just chewing the scenery and joe Pilato is one of the best that i've seen in uh the horror genre i mean if you if i were to read his character on the page I don't know that I I would envision it reaching to to this level, but the way he just screams this dialogue, it can be laughable if viewed in the right context. But I think as the the world around us is changing and we watch this now with fresh eyes, his character has become a lot more terrifying. I think the first time I saw this, I, I enjoyed it. I was entertained by his performance, but you know, I was like, oh man, this guy is so over the top. Now it doesn't seem so over the top. The more uh, internet arguments I get into with people, the more realistic Rhodes seems as a character. (laughs) Like he is just leaning into every word of this, and I feel like he believes it, which makes the character feel much more believable. It just doesn't come across as him screaming insults and stuff. Like they feel like a belief system coming through. Yeah, no, the dialogue is definitely rich. As arguably silly as it might read, you know, there's a lot to glean from it in terms of informing who Rhodes is as a human being. This dude's larger than life. I think I think Pilato definitely found something in that and, and plays it to its full capacity here. There's that incredible scene. I, I just called it the meeting. You know, that's where he gives the mouth full of Greek salad line, calls this place a monkey farm, and threatens to shoot everybody unless they sit back down. And you get like that very intense standoff that was a very strong scene and that has like almost all the characters in it so you get like a really good sense of like the dynamic there you know you have Sarah trying to assert herself but she doesn't have a weapon she doesn't want to get shot in the face so she's gonna relent in this moment and and, you know bide her time I guess that's one of my favorite scenes in the in the entire movie and it's just like a really long dialogue scene with no zombies anywhere that's another reason why like especially in this viewing I was like wow this movie is awesome it doesn't even need the zombies to entertain me I'm just getting it out of the drama this might be a stupid question but all the events of the series are in the same zombie apocalypse yeah there's a shared romero verse to my knowledge i don't think any of these romero zombie movies connect with characters i think they're they're all just loosely set in the same universe okay that is correct i just want to confirm that seemed like it but i wasn't sure Let's talk about Logan, Dr. Frankenstein for a bit, because this is where we get all of the amazing visual effects. And my God, it's it's just mind-blowing to look back in retrospect and be like, what are they, what, look what they did. <laughs> look what they got away with. Yeah, Savini is maybe my favorite horror makeup artist. You know, I look back at, at Dawn of the Dead and I look at these zombies and I think just the gore has always been great. Right. Like the Dawn of the Dead special effects when people were being bit into and ripped apart, like it always looked really good. But I always thought the zombies looked a little bit lame in that 
like it was just kind of blue makeup, gray blue makeup on people to make them look like zombies. I didn't necessarily buy them as zombies, whereas here they're falling apart. They have jaws missing. Their their guts are spilling out. This is the zombie apocalypse I came for, right? And Savini's work here is absolutely incredible. I mean, of course, he's only gotten better since, but I think this is the best the zombies have ever looked. And it's the last time Romero made a zombie film before CGI. This is kind of it for practical special effects within this franchise. And I think that it's just fucking incredible. Yeah, like the gags here, I guess you could call them, like each separate sort of experiment, like each have their own trick where like one of them has like all of his guts exposed and he leans over and reaches out and all of his guts pour out onto the floor. And it's just like, well, that looks like real stuff. Like they went and got a liver and some intestines from like the butcher. And like, I'm sure they did. I'm sure that's like exactly... what they did and that's why it looks so amazing but not just that stuff but like even towards the end when the military guys are getting ripped apart and like heads are being torn off of bodies and like it's just incredible the devotion like these actors are going through to get these shots it's just amazing brian as one that is not sort of as exposed to this level of gore and i mean even in the stuff we've watched uh, i don't think it's ever gotten to these heights not even return of the living dead 3 and that went pretty far and had some great sort of puppetry and and stuff but what are you thinking about these effects tonight i mean i thought they were great look you know like i said i'm not the biggest gore guy but i don't mind gore if it makes sense and everything here to me made a lot of sense right you got this crazy doctor and he's doing these specific experiments He's talking about like the cortex and stuff like that. And you see those specific parts of the brain removed. Yeah, no, I mean, I was a fan of it here because, again, it it made a lot of sense. What do you guys think about Bud, who is the lead zombie? We'll we'll call him the lead zombie. He is pretty much Dr. Frankenstein's most successful experiment. He is the one that's being conditioned to learn and has come the furthest. Now, he's definitely got like the best makeup they got like the best actor to to do this i I definitely remember the first time watching this liking it but not loving it but now i i mean i've grown to love this stuff the most this is definitely like part three territory we're in here where it's like (laughs) you know like the first movie is the outbreak the second movie is sort of like dealing with it and and this is living with it or something i don't know but like this is like yeah how can we live with this how can how can we sort of like make them part of our day-to-day society Uh, the concept itself is like scary enough but seeing it like hey it might actually work is like where the terror i think for me really lies you mentioned the part three thing mike and i thought this was like such a classic part three element to just introduced a new i don't want to say i think you know you mentioned gag but more like just a, a new place to go bub is like so like the, the scene where he's saluting and stuff or with the gun or like when he's shaving it's just so i don't want to say like when i say slow i don't mean that in a bad way i mean it's like it's not like mindless zombie slow chasing it's like you feel that he's working this out and whatever is left of his brain and i i, I loved that part of it i i get why some people might think that it's kind of a little silly and very part three ish and honestly like the first time you know like the first moments of watching it i was like what the hell is gonna happen here but like the characters uh, arc in the film actually really enjoyed so you know color me both intrigued and surprised about how much i i enjoyed this rando bub character brian i think you touched on part of what i love or what brought me around to bub as a character again like i think i had to just sort of accept okay this is what romero wants to do with zombies but i think bub's entire role is justified by the you know his his final scene the the payoff we get where bub is the one who causes the downfall of Rhodes, right? If, if we didn't have that personal moment, I don't know that Bub would have been worth including as a character. But because we get like the setup, we get that conflict with Rhodes where he just wants to shoot him. And, you know, and then at the end, Bub is, is, is what does him in. I think that arc is just so good that it's, I can't imagine this movie not having it. That's a big part of why I, I have come such a long way 
towards accepting Bub. I'm just saying that that's sort of like why I now, well, at least part of the reason why I now really enjoy Bub as a character. You know, it's just, it's his payoff is, is too great to deny it. I think part of the whole thing going on for me here is that Romero is like so ahead of his time with this kind of stuff where it's like you can sort of just enjoy it on a base level for it being in a horror movie as like something just weird and fucked up that's going on but also he's like no this means more like you can analyze like a Romero movie you know like there's no it's in there for a reason there's a reason why like these zombies are almost coming full circle now is what he's sort of trying to say it's like even in the last movie you know the explanation for why are they all coming to the shopping mall well that's what they're us that's what they remember and his explanation for bud is like well what's going on in that brain is he's just like us like what if he remembers like he can be part of a society again to say that he's just a reflection of us and where we are i think is like brilliant to be able to derive that from a zombie film and i get much more sort of satisfaction out of that now as an adult than uh not to don't get me wrong i enjoy it when the you know the the feeding frenzy uh happens and everything and the zombie smorgasbord but like that other stuff is the stuff that I get sort of more from nowadays. Yeah, and I'm, again, I'm so glad they decided to go this way. Yeah, this is the first time I've ever seen this film. I was worried that it was going to be something along the lines of a. Uh, tr- trust me, I love The Mandalorian. But what's the droid like that? Um, the bounty droid that they end up reprogramming to be like a nanny droid. Mm-hmm, the IG unit. Yeah, w- which was fun and like comic relief for that show. And, it, you know, it ended up being pretty badass. But I was a little afraid it was they were going to, like, completely reprogram him. And it was just going to be, like, this cute buddy zombie that helped them conquer the day in the end. But the fact that he had, like, depth and, you know, weird word to use, but humanity um, in that final scene, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, this was worth it. I know Romero had plans for much more with this installment, but just did not have the budget for it. And most of what he wanted to do, he sort of ended up doing partially in the next movie with Land of the Dead where in which it's it's like a big fortified city basically and it's like one of the last sort of human populations left they don't have any of the the science and military stuff that's all in this movie but if you can also sort of imagine there being like you know a walled in city of people above like that needed protecting as well um, and in the next movie also sort of gets i don't want to say much more but it picks up with zombies sort of um remembering or coming back around you know he's not just doing it because it's a reflex he's doing it because like he knows what he's doing the zombie is like reawakening and that is exactly why i was so pissed that the big daddy character was not bub like god damn it (laughs) should have been bub that would have been the time to do it i want to talk about the two pilots because they're sort of like a leftover, I feel. Not a leftover, but like they're, they're very much Dawn of the Dead type. They're living in like a, their version of Dawn of the Dead, which I thought was really cool, where it's like we get a mini sort of a mini version of that movie in this movie when she goes to visit them. I mean, they live in a trailer way far away from the scientists and the and the military. She goes in and there's like a home sweet home sign next to the guns on the wall and they sort of made up like a like a makeshift patio in the back Uh, and they just kind of sit there drinking hanging out and and like talking about life and stuff yeah i really enjoyed that that moment you know it was really nice just moment of calm and sort of clarity and like like I said earlier, he starts reading all of the records of like everything and, you know, they talk about, you know, what they're doing and what it's worth and all that. I don't know. I just thought that was a really nice moment between these characters. We don't get a lot of the helicopter pilots, so it was nice to see them, you know, what are they doing this whole time? Yeah, I thought it was really cool. I loved where they lived and I like how it seems like that was like the first time she'd been there. It's kinda of like the first time they let her in on their circle because you know it was mentioned before that they're kind of like neutral parties and scientists at least like you know leftover scientists and helicopter pilots sort of like become allies towards the end it's just a cool moment to see just even just like chill in the backyard she says something along the lines of i came to get drunk here again very humanizing it makes me want to build like a little tropical paradise in my basement (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it made me think of the bomb shelter in Blast from the Past. If you've ever seen that 
Brendan Fraser, Christopher Walken oh, wow. movie. Oh, wow. I haven't in a while. <laughs> yeah, you know, as you'd expect, like, all hell basically breaks loose at some point in this movie. And, like, <laughs> I feel like ultimately what happens is, like, everybody cracks and gets just so out of control. Like, first of all, like, they try to feed Miguel to the zombies. They're going to retrieve a couple of the zombies the way they typically do. One gets loose. Actually, I think two get loose, maybe. One takes a bite out of Miguel's arm, and another guy gets bit in the neck with a great special effects shot. Yeah, that's what happens. That's what sort of sets everything off. Yeah, that's when Sarah has to, like, chop off Miguel's arm and... The whole thing is like, you should just, they, the army wants to kill Miguel, but she wants to keep him alive. And again, that's because they have history, because he's not, right. and again, you know, she's a human being, but like, you know, the army's take is like, he could turn into a zombie, that's a really, really, really big risk, and even if he doesn't, like, what good is a, you know, broken down, one-armed soldier gonna be? You know, just honestly, like, again, I don't have this point of view, but from a logical standpoint, too, he just like another mouth to feed down there, and they have limited resources. It's true. It's so interesting, though, um, how almost she knows exactly what to do and how deliberate they are in terms of just like the tourniquet (laughs) it's cool though right like taking her shirt off like she has some cool shirts in this film like these like plaid shirts and she takes it off and she puts it on the torch and uh they put gas on on the shirt and she lights it and she cauterizes the wound and like i think miguel thinks he's just done and then he you know he notices his arms on you know being burnt like that and he just freaks out even more it's just like i actually do really do like that scene Oh, it's so well done. And that's something that I hadn't seen up until that point, too. I was like, oh, well, once you get bit, you're gone. You're a goner. But then here we are in like a Romero movie and he's chopping the guy's arm off and he's like sealing it and everything. And I was like, well, you know, if it's going to work in any film, it'll be this one. (laughs) Um, We don't get the chance to really find out because when he wakes up like in a in a few minutes, um, he goes topside and lets all the other zombies in. Though it wasn't like, you know, for example, like kids in the woods or something, and they just like take a chance and do this. I like how, for me, it came from a basis of some kind of science that she or someone figured out at some point that like, oh, if you get them early enough and they bite you in a place here, you could uh, do something before it goes into the the full bloodstream. There's a certain sense that like it doesn't make any sense at all right there's a certain feeling where it's like well if you're bit it's in your blood like it doesn't matter where you're bit it's not like it's gonna creep up his arm (laughs) you know but like you don't think like that like it seems logical that if you chop it off where you were infected you should be good but i'm just not sure that's how it works it just seems once it's virally in you you know it doesn't matter where it is i guess it depends like you know what it is and we don't really know right like i i think i think that's effective with some poisons for example but if it's something that's viral probably not so i don't know you know who the hell knows i think it's dependent on the zombie franchise you're talking about i'm pretty sure i've seen that technique be effective but romero's not interested in giving us that you know we don't we don't know if it works or not they seem confident but again we don't have enough time to find out i do love though yeah you're right brian like how quickly she just snaps too and she's like let's try this or like as if like it was in some kind of guidebook that she read you know how to possibly deal with it she's like i remember something seeing something about this at some point in some survival book i read or her research or something you know and it just added depth to the character to me And speaking of adding depth to the character, when we cut back to Bud listening to Ode to Joy, that's amazing. That's like the thesis statement of this whole movie, right? It's like that definitely snapped him out of it, you know, at least like starting to really snap him out of it. I really like that because like it adds to when they shoot Dr. Logan full of lead, right? And he finds him dead. Like it means more. Here's a guy that like I as a viewer see their sort of bond and attachment to like I bought it you know what I'm saying like he does feel like a like a son to this doctor and when he sees him it makes it makes sense and and it means more that he would kill Rhodes like in in some kind of revenge like he's put it together he's figured it out he's like I know who did this is what it feels like yeah, and that, that sort of ties into what I was saying about Bub just being such a great character in that Frankenstein was always going to die. I think, you know, he's a character, again, like I said, made some immoral decisions. Even though he was on the quote-unquote good team here, he deserved to die for the things he did. I don't know that I would have felt his death as much or at all if not for Bub relaying his own feelings about that. It definitely emphasizes that death in a way that otherwise it wouldn't have been. 
So that's when after that, that Rhodes totally tries to take control after he kills the doctor. And that's when he, he kind of, it's funny, like he kind of gives them what they want in a weird way. Like he takes Sarah and one of the helicopter pilots and, and puts them on the other side of the barricade I was talking about in the beginning where they've been wrangling the uh, the zombies and stuff. And like their whole plan was to escape through the tunnels anyway, to go through the back, up through the back of the tunnels and steal the helicopter. I just kind of thought it was funny that they got what they wanted in a weird way. And then the other helicopter pilot joins him and they go running around the tunnels for like 15 minutes while the zombies get in and, and perform their feeding frenzy on on the military guys i really liked the cross cutting between all that kind of stuff like you get like this escape with our heroes and then you get the comeuppance and the deaths of all these horrible soldiers yeah it is interesting when they're contemplating like do we go back and fight the people with guns or do we take our chances with the zombies uh, this way and they're you know they're kind of having like a quick discussion about it i like that because again there's like different layers of that too like what's worse like the undead here or the crazy living um you know they end up as you said like they end up taking that like two by four and whacking their way out yeah i i like that it was pretty cool brian i don't know if you've if you've seen this other movie but mike did, did you catch the uh similarities in the lighting to creep show in that tunnel sequence Oh, yeah. Yes, I did. It it did kind of have that EC feel to it. Like the blue and red lighting, every time I see it, ever since I saw Creepshow and now I watch Day of the Dead, I'm like, oh, hey, Creepshow. It's not a coincidence it, that both movies have the same cinematographer and obviously the same director. But I just thought that was fun, that like a fun thing to carry over from one project to the next. So uh, there's a cool Easter egg in this movie where Bub picks up a copy of Salem's Lot and Creepshow was... Wasn't that a co-production between Stephen King and George Romero? And I think you know Stephen King like wrote a bunch of it, and he's in an episode. Stephen King wrote it, and Romero directed it. Yeah. So yeah, I thought like this movie has those fun little nods to Creepshow, which is a lot of fun. So while we're on the subject, it's got one or two other nods to the previous Romero zombie films. When they're in the meeting, the scene that I love the best where they're all sort of like yelling at each other, basically, one of the helicopter pilots mentions that all of the shopping malls are closed and Rhodes is like, that's not funny or I'm not like none of that bullshit right. or something. And that was a that's an, a nod to the previous movie where they hole up in a uh, shopping mall. And then there's another moment when Frankenstein is talking to one of his sort of like lesser experiments. I think the one that scared Sarah and he's like berating him and he's like, you sit here and you think about what you've done. And they play a cue of um, part of the music from Dawn of the Dead also part of this uh, music called the gonk, which is like very recognizable in that movie. Oh, interesting. It's just sort of like a little couple notes of it. And that, that one zombie, I think it's the first one they pull out of the tunnel and like towards the beginning of the movie, always really reminded me of that first zombie in Night of the Living Dead that attacks Barbara in the cemetery. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I doubt they're the same, but I think visually he was uh, possibly made to look like that first zombie. There's a lot of great distinct zombies in this movie when they come down that elevator, that's an amazing shot too, by the way. Like there's just a lot of great shots in this movie, but that was epic. And there's like a ballerina, like an ice cream man, a clown, you know, like that was really a good idea to sort of say like every, like every walk of life, like even if it's not necessarily like realistic, quote unquote, you know, like you watch The Walking Dead and you don't see like a clown zombie ever. That's, that's why that show stinks. But it's just like adds to, you know what I'm saying? Like it almost adds to the insanity of it. But again, the people looked so Florida. Like, you know, they were just in Hawaiian shirts and a lot of them were older. And it was a, uh, it was cool because they're clearly near a beach, right? Maybe it was a beach community. Um, I liked it. The clown's a little weird, but, but still. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's sort of one of the trademarks of the Romero zombie is that they all kind of look like, people who they all just went to a party store grabbed a different costume and then they became zombies immediately after that's just what he does and, and i think it's fun it adds some interesting things to look at in the background instead of just a bunch of people who look like a bunch of supermarket shoppers you know picking up bread and milk these people all look distinct and they're memorable and they stick in your mind and i, and I think that's a good thing as silly as it seems as, as a concept 
Yeah, it adds a lot of color to it, you know, as opposed to it just being so drab and similar all the time and everything. Do you guys have a favorite kill moment here in the last, like, ten minutes when they all come on in and everything? Is one of them getting it better than the other for any of you? Uh, I love the one soldier who has his head ripped off. I watched that shot from, like, start to finish, and it's impressive. Like, I didn't realize until towards the end of the shot that the head was, uh, uh, like, an animatronic robotic head because it moves throughout the whole shot and they, they sort of bowling ball his eye sockets and pull his head off and his mouth is still sort of moving as his head is removed from his body and then of course his torso is, is torn open that's probably the most impressive kill in this movie from a from an effect standpoint Rhodes also, of course, has maybe the most memorable death scene in this movie. But if you like the effects, definitely check out that other soldier who gets his head pulled off. It's incredible. Yeah, what really impressed me about that, what sells me, what sells that shot the most for me is as they're tearing his head off, like his scream gets higher and higher pitched. And I was like, what is like going on there? And I remember I... I was listening to one of the audio commentaries and the, and the idea behind that was like his vocal cords are stretching and they eventually just snap so that you can't hear him anymore. And I was like, well, I don't know if that's like scientifically accurate, but that's a hell of a cool idea for like, <laughs> you know, to come up with a, you know, a visual. Yeah, these movies seem like they're not scientifically accurate, but science enough where it's not like completely like lunacy. Like, oh, that makes sense, I guess, rather than, oh, yeah, I get, you know, I get it. They had such a great sense of anatomy, right? That I just believe whatever they do with it. Yeah, I think I think horror deaths specifically, they're allowed to go beyond the the limitations of our you know physical abilities because they're death scenes, and death scenes should always be you know shooting for the fence. But I think there's there's enough science in this to make the story believable. So of course we can go along with the rest of it. But yeah, deaths deaths should always be reaching for the stars, man. I mean, I look at that and I was like, they didn't have a lot of money, but they definitely utilized it in the best possible way when it comes down to it. maybe. I mean, this is just the way I. I see it in my mind is like they sit around and they're like, look, they, we got no money to make this movie, but thankfully like we've got this like really smart script that doesn't involve a lot of zombies and stuff until the very end. Like, let's just wow them in the end, like have them go home talking about like how insane that zombie frenzy was with all those crazy effects and everything. So, I mean, they definitely give you more than you were asking for, at least me, you know, where I was like the first time watching this movie, I, thought it was going to be more gory than this and then this happens and it's like okay guys like it's almost like a monkey paw wish i was like i'm sorry what i asked for like i got way more than i was expecting (laughs) here and like one of the most disturbing things is when it just sort of lingers at the end of everybody just gnawing on entrails i don't know it's just like some kind of weird like fetish shots you know what i'm saying like it almost feels like a documentary at that point of like the zombie in the wild Well, I love how civilized they seem, just like sitting on the floor, munching on an arm, like they're not causing trouble. I almost feel like that that sequence is meant to contrast to the rest of the movie before it, you know, like just these zombies don't ask for much. They're, they're just chilling, eating, hanging out in harmony. Well, yeah, look, at they're going to inherit the earth and there's way more civil than the people we've been watching for the last hour and a half. You know, it's almost like they're getting callbacks in their own head to when they were just eating normally. It's, um, you know, I mean, I think that's what they were trying to do there because wasn't that Frankenstein's stash of people or food or what, am I crazy? Like, so it's like some of them and then it was the, the ones that were up above against the fence the whole oh, yeah, time yeah, yeah, and yeah. then Miguel lets them all in and, and down into the bunker. I thought it was a... Uh, cool it, it didn't like lose me there like oh, okay you know this is i mean yeah it was a little crazy it kind of built to this so i was totally like not taken out of it if that makes sense no yeah no i, I mean i love it it's a punctu- it's like a very strong punctuation i feel where it's like yep this is this isn't just here like this is happening everywhere you know i almost got that sense where it's like People are going to be able to hold up for, you know, a year, maybe a couple months, a year, however long they've been down there. Eventually, this is just going to happen everywhere. You know, (laughs) eventually they get in, which might be the name of my zombie movie one day. (laughs) Eventually they get in. But some people get out. Sarah and, and the chopper pilots, 
they go out the back, they escape. The only thing I always thought this movie was missing, and there's no way they really could have done it, but I always felt like when they're climbing out of the tunnels at the end, that that should have been like an old missile silo. There should have been a giant nuclear missile there. I think that would have really uh, politically put a point on a lot of stuff. But, you know, he didn't have access to an actual missile silo. And I don't know that that was, you know, part of any plan or anything. But I just thought in my mind, like, wow, what a what an amazingly shocking image that would have been of one of the last shots and they're climbing out of a missile silo. But it's still a great escape. It's very tense, you know? It's not like they get out easily. Like, they really have to fight their way out of there. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on in the background. I mean, largely the film background-wise, it's cool that they're in this bunker, but it's not like there's a lot going on They're in the bunker, you know? So this last sequence, you're seeing a lot of, like, like that elevator and sunlight, you know? <laughs> I thought it was pretty cool-looking. The tunnel is a whole, like, new location that gets introduced. Like Dan was saying earlier with the dramatic lighting and everything. Mm -hmm. They get out of the bunker and they go over to the chopper. And as they're getting into the chopper, there's, like, a jump scare. This this film sort of bookends with jump scares on Sarah. And Sarah, like, suddenly she wakes up and she's on, on a beach, on a tropical island with her buddies. I got so mad. For like briefly because I thought this was one of those movies where it was all just a dream or something and she was just going to wake up on a beach and like society was normal or then I thought it could be like the Planet of the Apes ending like she thinks society is normal but she was on the zombie planet the entire time something like that but I guess she was just <laughs> who knows but no it wasn't that so I was okay with it yeah I liked it like at first you know I was kind of bummed because it's not very conclusive it's not as conclusive as I was like but then I got to think I was like none of the Romero ones are they're all open-ended I mean maybe the first one for the most part we know definitively what happens to the main character but as far as this one the next one the one before this like they're very open-ended and I love that about them and I love that about this where it's almost like did that all really happen the way it was or is she just having a horrible nightmare recalling the events of the last like few days or something you know I, I like that sort of air of ambiguousness going on still um, I, I love this ending because I think it, uh, of all of them, uh, certainly of the original trilogy, it is the closest we ever get to a happy ending. I mean, it's still left open, of course. Uh, we don't know what's happening to the world outside, but we, we know that these characters that we've bonded with are okay. And uh, John Harrison's score really reassures us in that moment that they're going to be okay, at least for a little while. I can't think of another ending to another one of these movies where I felt so safe. This this was definitely meant to be a trilogy. I don't think he had Land of the Dead in his mind making this. Uh, I think this was meant to be the last. So I think that was sort of his, his plan, must have been, you know, to have this be the, the end of it and leave on a, on a high note and feel hopeful, which, you know, I love. And John Harrison's score is incredible. The hopefulness is something that I feel is earned here because we have this protagonist who, again, to me, is awesome. So I was really glad that this wasn't one of those doom and gloom, we're all fucked kind of things. Yeah, everyone's fucked, obviously, in this world of zombies, but they found their little piece, quite literally, of paradise that, you know, who lo who knows how long they last there, but, uh, you know, it's it's nice. It was nice to feel that. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> you know? Thank you. Someone I like survives and presumably can live happily ever after for as long as it's feasible. I think there's something comforting about it, you know, even though, like you said, you know, like the outside world is probably gone. At least, you know, they're, they have each other for now. And, you know, yeah, they made it. They're in a much better situation than they were. I'll say that much for them. You know, they think they have a better chance now being out and about. Good for them. <laughs> That's pretty much going to conclude it for Day of the Dead today. Do either of you have anything we left out that you, you wanted to get in here before we wrap it up? Brian, any anything... You want to mention as we conclude here? As I look at my notes, just the one quick thing, uh, just to Dan, your point on like the costume shop aspect of, of the zombies. There was one football player. I don't know if you caught him. Uh -huh. I, I thought it was cool looking, but you know, you're so right. Like, how did this happen? Like, where were people where they all are in these kind of outfits when this happened? It must not have been a gradual thing, right? Well, it just occurred to me that in the opening shot, you know, with, with the arms coming through the wall, Sarah's looking at a calendar, and it, it, it's October. Oh. So maybe, maybe there was a Halloween party 
and they were all at a Halloween party together. Oh, Dan, you cracked it. <laughs> There's a clown and a football oh, player. That, that makes and, sense. <laughs> you know, all kinds of, who knows if that's really what, what the explanation was. I think Romero just liked to fill the background with, with, with distinct, interesting looking <laughs> characters. But yeah, I'm going to say, I'm going to say they were all at a, at a costume party somewhere nearby. That works for me. Um, the other note I had is like, for a novice like me, this is a really good entry-level film because, again, I really didn't have a lot of recollection of the first two other films, and I feel like I didn't need to. I got it right away. I bought into the world. It didn't feel like... How can I put it? I think I've talked about this with you, Mike. Sometimes I feel like when I'm watching a horror film that I have to be... Or like a gore film or something like that. Like I have to be in with the crowd or in on... Not the joke, but like... It's one of these things like either you get it or you don't. Either this is a part of you or you're just not part of that world. But this one, believe it or not, didn't feel like that. It feels like if you're willing to open your heart... I guess, to zombie films and films like this, that this is like a really good one. I can't remember which one we talked about, Mike, but I don't even remember if it was my show, your show, or whatever. But there is one where like the zombies are like having articulate conversations with the humans or whatever. And I don't remember which one that was. And like that one, you know, it was fun and it was silly, but it definitely felt like you had to be in on the joke, quote unquote. This one, again, like I said, it feels entry level in a sense that I could show this to one of my friends who's not an expert on horror films and they would still get a kick out of it and enjoy the, the world that's been being built here. The strength lies in that it's just a good movie. It's not necessarily just a good horror movie or a zombie movie. Like Romero has made it just you know across the board like it's a good drama it's a good everything you know what i'm saying like it can it can fall into all those different categories too so it doesn't just rely on it being a zombie film it's like a crisis movie too it's all those kind of panic film all those kinds of things yeah i agree with everything you said mike i also think that now that we live in a post walking dead world zombies have become so much part of the cultural zeitgeist that you don't really need to know more than, you know, okay, it's a movie with zombies. Whereas when this came out, you know, Romero's zombies were presumably the most like, or the only real zombies that people would go to the theater to see, um, unless they, you were, you know, going to see Italian zombie films. But, you know, I think the general American public, you know, saw Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, then this. There was like a, even though they were, weren't connected by characters, there was like a slow sort of uh, narrative arc going on. But now, you know, zombies are everywhere and that's all you need to know. They, they function the way we are accustomed to seeing z- zombies function. So it doesn't need zombies the way those, those early films need them. Dan, any, any moments or anything else about Day of the Dead that you want to mention that we didn't get a chance to? I wanted to make sure I brought up John Harrison's score because I love it so much. Not quite as good as Goblin's score for Dawn of the Dead, but still pretty incredible. What's great about this score, it's got almost like, I was like, man, it's got like a John Carpenter vibe happening at first. And then it kind of lightens up a little. I was like, well, that's very nice to like sort of have this weird sort of light undercurrent of music along the way. And then it it goes back and forth, but I, I quite enjoy that too. I think that's where that cuts some of the tension for me is the music is that's when I was like, Oh, I appreciate this music telling me when I can relax. It's like, normally I hate when a movie tries to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. I, I only wanted to mention it because I think it's underrated. I don't think people discuss it as often as they should because Goblin gets so much of the uh, conversation time. He, I think he gets short shrift a little bit. So I just, I at least wanted to mention it because I think it's worth, worth checking out. Well, I guess that's going to do it for us tonight down here. We are all free to leave the bunker if we wish. We've got to thank Brian, my unofficial co-host, and Dan, my horror consultant. Thank you guys very much for stopping by today. I appreciate, appreciate it very, very much. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, Mike. Brian, I know uh, you've got a, a show or two happening. Want to give the listeners what you're up to, a little info? High School Slumber Party, of course. That's my flagship show now uh we're going twice a week during crisis time because i have a lot of free time and i'm just trying to record as many episodes as possible because it's helping keep my sanity and it's awesome we're watching some really really fun movies i don't know when this episode specifically airs mike but we'll have made some progress of our list of over 500 high school films again i don't know if we'll get to them all but it's it's nice to have this time and to be able to i mean again i wish i didn't have this time but uh (laughs) it's been a 
a really fun uh, journey. It's been really fun connecting with a lot of people lately. We're coming to the end of our sophomore year. We're past episode 100, though. And uh, like I said, it's just, it's been good. And that comes out every Friday and every Monday now. Um, eventually, we'll just go back to Fridays. But Friday and Monday, it's been cool. And of course, my other show, PSI Love Hoffman, is still running strong with the foodie films man himself, Kyle Reinfried. And we're doing uh, a lot of movies on there. And you can check me as a guest on a bunch of other shows as well. So search me, you'll find me. Now, Dan Cologne, aside from being sort of a regular around here, these parts, is there anywhere uh, you want to mention that the fine people can find you on the internet? I'm on Twitter at Dan Cologne. That's D-A-N-C-O-L-O-N. And, and that's pretty much it. I don't have anything else to plug at the moment. All right. I guess that'll do it for tonight, guys. So thank you very much and watch out for zombies. Once again for this episode of Third Time's a Charm. Thank you, Brian and Dan, once again, and be sure to look them up online. I want to plug that I was recently just on a very fun episode of High School Slumber Party where we talk about this film called Society. So please check out that movie and check out that episode. For all things Third Time's a Charm and all things Cage Club, go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, and at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. I really like the Spotify app because you could just type my name in the search engine and every show I'm on will pop up. It's quick and it's easy to find all my particular episodes. As always, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Write to me at T-H-R-E-E at cageclub.me. And that'll do it for today. So until next time... That's the magic number. Three. Yes, it is. It's the magic number. Three. Three. They stubbing me, and that's the magic number. What does it all mean?